This is First Fairgate United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us on Pentecost Sunday. Now here's Martha with our message, the Spirit's job description. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture to help us celebrate Pentecost, we typically read from the second chapter of Acts where we hear the story of the mighty rushing wind. But today we're going to read from what we call the book of Romans, which is actually a letter written by the man we call Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Rome. He is writing to people to remind them where their strength comes from, where their power comes from when things look a little bleak. So I invite you to hear these words. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anytime you begin a new job, you are likely given something that is called a job description. A job description gives you a little bit of a guidance, the parameters of what you're supposed to do or what the expectations are of that job that you're starting. It probably has on it an overview of what the job is. There's probably specific tasks or guidelines that tell you what to do. Every job description I've ever had, I dare say every job description you've ever had, And every job description that we have here at the church has one line in it that's very similar. Does anybody want to take a guess what it might be? Other duties as assigned. Don't you love that line? Well, I learned in the past 14 months what that means. That means you have to learn how to shoot video from an iPad at your home, and then the neighbor shows up to mow their grass. And you're halfway through it, and you've got to start all over again. It also means that I have to learn how to edit video. Didn't know that before. Don't really want to know that. It also means, I'm not sure if y'all have noticed, I've learned how to preach differently. I used to walk, but now I have to look at camera, and I've been retrained. Other duties as assigned means a lot of things. But have you ever had a job that you didn't have a job description? I was once hired into a church, actually, and their philosophy was we don't give job descriptions because we want you to be led by the Holy Spirit and the passion that God has given you. I'm all about that. I agree with that. But this particular job was one that I was supposed to be in in charge of or responsible for, small group discipleship ministry. Fair enough. So as I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do, one of my coworkers comes to me and said, did you know that you're also responsible for benevolence? 
meaning I was supposed to be responsible for uh, those who came to the church who needed help with gas or hotel or rent, that sort of thing. I said, no, I, I didn't know that. I didn't have a job description, so I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Job descriptions, while they can sometimes be ambiguous with that other duties as assigned, they give us some sort of idea of what to do. Otherwise, we don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit is someone that we in the church sometimes just don't know what to do with. We can begin to wrap our heads around God the Father, God this this, this big God up in heaven, distant and far off. We can, we can wrap our heads around that a little bit. And we can begin to wrap our heads a little bit around Jesus because Jesus, although we don't see him physically, we know that he was a person. And so there's, there's something tangible about Jesus. And we have his teachings recorded in the Bible. And, and so Jesus, we can sort of wrap our heads around that one as well. But the Holy Spirit, however, is a little mysterious to us. We don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Well, the Holy Spirit was a bit of a mystery to those early followers as well. Hence the reason the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Romans and in other letters, trying to remind them of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was on Pentecost Sunday that we recall the coming of the Holy Spirit on that first Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost itself means 50th. So it's 50 days after Jesus' death that we have Pentecost. And in the Jewish world, it's, it's also a celebration, a religious celebration of the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It would take place about the time where we are right now, but sometimes at the beginning of summer when people would just be, be about to do their first harvesting. And so they would take the first fruits of their harvest and pilgrimage journey to Jerusalem to offer those first crops, those first fruits to God and sacrifice. It was a massive celebration and thousands upon thousands of people would make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem to offer these sacrifices of their first fruits of their harvest. While they are there, these thousands of people, that is when God sends the Holy Spirit into those first few followers and we have this picture of this rushing wind and the tongues of fire resting on their heads and the Holy Spirit indwells, we call it, takes up residence in them and they're actually accused of being drunk. But then Peter goes on and he starts preaching and he tells them this is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. This is the Holy Spirit that God said he would bring. And at the end of the second chapter of Acts, we see that about 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. And it's often what we call the first fruits of a long eternal harvest. Fast forward about 50 or 60 years from that day, and we have the scripture that the Apostle Paul has written to us. The Apostle Paul is writing to people who are a part of the early church in the city of Rome. And he's writing to them, reminding them that they too are a part of those first fruits that they are just at the very beginning of something incredible that God is doing. And he uses this notion of groaning as if in labor pains, that it's hard for them right now. But that's something that they cannot see or imagine is taking place. But it's hard 
They're in the midst of physical and political persecution. They're in the midst of opposition from their neighbors. There were other people coming to them thinking, why are you going to this faith in Jesus? What's the big deal? The odds were stacked against them. But it wasn't just political persecution. It wasn't just political opposition, but the inward struggle of themselves. The struggle to keep the faith when the future looked so bleak. And so he writes to remind them that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness as we groan and struggle in the midst of challenges and changes and something new that's brewing. Jesus, before he died, actually called the Holy Spirit the advocate or the comforter said that unless I die and go away, I cannot send the advocate or the comforter. The job description of the Holy Spirit is to give us strength, to give us God's power, to encourage us even in our weaknesses. The thing about weaknesses often is that it's driven by fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of failure, fear even of success. Yes, we also fear successes sometimes. What if things actually do go really well? Fear of people not liking us, but fear can numb us and make us weak. Author and speaker, author and journalist Elizabeth Gilbert You may recognize that name. I've only read one of her books a long time ago, Eat, Pray, Love. Do you all remember that from about 15, maybe 20 years ago? I can't remember. In a recent book entitled Big Magic, she's talking about how she's beginning to go on an endeavor, a new journey, changing something in her life, and that it's going to require what she calls creativity. And it's going to require a lot of risk-taking. But she recognizes that her fear is the thing that will squash the journey. So she decides to write an open letter to fear, as if it's a person. And she pretty much puts fear in its place. This is what she writes. Dear fear, creativity and I are about to go on a road trip together. I understand you'll be joining us because you always do. I acknowledge that you believe you have an important job to do in my life and that you take your job seriously. Apparently, your job is to induce complete panic whenever I'm about to do anything interesting. And may I say, you are superb at your job. So by all means, keep doing your job if you feel you must. But I will also be doing my job on this trip, which is to work hard and stay focused. And creativity will be doing its job, which is to remain stimulating and inspiring. There's plenty of room in this vehicle for all of us, so make yourself at home. But understand this. Creativity and I are the ones who will be making the decisions along the way. I recognize and respect that you are a part of this family, and so I will never exclude you from our activities. But still, your suggestions will never be followed. You're allowed to have a seat, you're allowed to have a voice, but you're not allowed to have a vote. 
You're not allowed to touch the roadmaps. You're not allowed to suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, my dear old familiar friend, fear. You are absolutely forbidden to drive. Now we could take that letter and replace the word creativity with the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and I are about to go on a road trip. We understand fear that you'll be joining us and that you have a job to do, but the Holy Spirit will be doing his job as well. And his job is to keep us inspired, encouraged, and focused on the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit and I are the ones who will be making decisions along the way. The Holy Spirit is the only one who will be driving the train. I dare say if we put the word Holy Spirit in there, that's how she would have written it. Because the job of the Holy Spirit is to strengthen, is to encourage, is to intercede or intervene and remind us who we are and whose we are. Are. The Greek word for weakness that is in the scripture in the book of Romans is actually ethnia. Ethnia. Does that sound familiar? Anesthesia. In a roundabout way, that's where we get our anesthesia word. What does anesthesia do? It numbs us, it puts us to sleep. It causes us to slip into a coma-like state where we forget who we are, where we are, and what we are about. It makes us powerless to do anything. Our weakness often leaves us powerless, causes us to forget where our strength comes from. In the words of the psalmist from Psalm 21, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Our weakness often helps us or makes us forget that. There's a story that Todd Bolsinger tells about Sister Madonna, who is a Catholic nun. He says that he sat among a gathering of triathletes and saw Sister Madonna, assuming that she was there to offer the opening prayer for a dinner of these triathletes. What he found out, though, but she was the key speaker for the evening because she was also nicknamed the Iron Nun because she, began, she became the world record holder for her age group, which was 82, for the 2.5-mile swim, the 112-mile bike ride, the 26.2 run that makes up the Ironman triathlon. She holds the record in her age group. If anyone knew what it was like to need a power greater than herself to overcome weakness, it was her. So she stands to address all of these triathletes, I dare say they were just a little bit younger than her, preparing for this Ironman competition the next day, and she says this. Tomorrow when things get tough out there, remember you were loved into existence. If you get discouraged and you want to quit, if you get injured and can't finish, if things don't go the way you want, 
even though you have trained for this day for months or even years, even then, remember that you were loved into existence. The Holy Spirit's job is to come to us and to whisper to us, you were loved into existence. When you make a mistake, and we all do, and the guilt or the gossip seems to overwhelm us, the Holy Spirit whispers into our weakness, you were loved into existence. When the people talk about you behind your back, when they question your decisions or motives, when our wounded ego consumes us like a painful instant replay, the Holy Spirit comes to us and whispers, you were loved into existence. When the world is changed so drastically, so drastically that you barely recognize your job, you barely recognize your family structure, you barely recognize your church, you barely recognize your political environment and fear sets in and we want to cling to the way it was. When it feels like the earth beneath your feet will give way and the only response that we can muster out of fear is anger. So much so that we don't even recognize ourselves. That's when the Holy Spirit whispers to us, you were loved into existence. The anger, the fear, the resentment, the loss, the grief is not who we are. Who we are is people loved into existence. When we remember that the very breath and power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have the courage and the strength to keep going. We have the strength even to embrace change. We have the courage to face something new, knowing that maybe it's the groaning of labor pains that leads to joy. We have the grace to accept things that we may not fully understand. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week as our guest speaker, Reverend Richard Edwards, explains to us why gratitude is good for the soul. See you then.